HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode of Agave Road Trip is brought to you by Mezcal Ultramundo. Ultramundo is a Mezcal brand owned by a family without any real historic connections to Mezcal heritage. Instead, their connection is to nature. They own a 24,000-acre ranch that has been used to graze cattle. It's a beautiful wild place. Everywhere you turn, it's a sea of coyotes. Fresh coyotes, old coyotes, fallen coyotes, just sprouting coyotes. And specifically from Miguel Lamparillo, variety that takes something like 15 to 18 years to reach maturity. Now, there's a lot to talk about with this brand, but I'm reluctant to do that because whatever I say will divert your attention from what I believe is the truly important story, those 24,000 acres of wild agave. You know, we spend a lot of time in this industry talking about sustainability, but the truth is any spirit being shipped out of the community in which it's made isn't truly sustainable. The fossil fuels needed to make the glass bottles and to physically ship them aren't sustainable. So no brand of spirit you're drinking is truly sustainable. I tend to instead look for practices that move us as an industry, move us as a species closer to sustainability. And Ultramundo's harvesting practices are a great example of exactly that. The experts who visited their ranch have suggested that so long as they limit their annual harvest to no more than 80% of what reaches maturity, they'll have a self-sustaining supply of this long-growth agave. Every time I return to Oaxaca, more and more of it is monoculture espadine. Row after row after row of these farmed agave are replacing wildlands where so many diverse plants once thrived alongside so many diverse insects, animals, and bacteria. And I get it. I understand why that happens. And I'm not suggesting we should all stop drinking Oaxacan espadine, but I am saying we need to see more projects like Ultramundo, projects that preserve the biodiversity of our planet. Ultramundo is available now in the USA, everywhere via mail order for consumers, and at wholesale in California for bars, restaurants, and liquor stores. If you believe in preserving wildlands and believe in preserving biodiversity, but still want to drink delicious mezcal, please give Ultramundo a try. Learn more at ultramundo.mx. That's U-L-T-R-A-M-U-N-D-O dot M-X.
So much of what we do creates a carbon wake that is, given the structure of our modern world, nearly unavoidable. But we can minimize that wake by making diverse choices. Bang. I am Charles Bidiwan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the award-winning, critically acclaimed podcast that helps green gags bartenders burn us in agave, agave spirit, and rural Mexico. And today we're talking about the one thing that makes everybody drink mezcal. The one thing that it was it would be depression? Are we talking about <laughs> depression? Are we <laughs> talking about celebration? Actually, it's so funny. I was uh, I was just in Bosphor the other day, and I was trying to convince uh, my new friend Anjan that uh, that most people go Who? to Anjan. You need to say his full name. Oh, I don't know his last name. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. Anyway, anyway uh, we'll put that in the link because he's a he's a known guy. Oh, he's a really cool kid. Yeah. Uh, well, I was trying to convince him that most people go to Basura for the beauty of the drinks. And we asked uh, Magali, the bartender there, which I love, and she told him, no, just people come here because of depression. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. God, that's funny. That's not what I think of that place. But um, we're already way, way far away from what we want to talk about today, Java. Okay, yeah. So we want to talk about something that it's maybe as controversial as ABB. I don't know. I don't know, maybe. So, <laughs> again, like, I'm going to get right to the point because yeah, yeah, you go, clearly go, go are. Yeah. Like, so the, the question really is, is the gusano and mezcal, is it cultural heritage or is it just a marketing tool? Well, and and even before we start, can I ask you something? Of Have course you, you tried? Can. You've got a I, microphone. I, well, yeah, I've got a microphone. Yeah, yeah. I can't stop you. I could stop you. I've got the the off button. But keep uh, going. We're recording, actually. You press record. Yeah, yeah. So my, <laughs> I just you know just making sure it's a lot of energy. So, have you tried? A mezcal with gusano with with worms in it, and we're gonna discuss that maybe worm is even a misconception later on. Uh, that you found to be tasty. Yeah, absolutely. I've tried more than one. Yeah. So it's then it it's even then important that it's part of our cultural heritage. God, that's a great question. So you know, I would say no, but but the mezcal geeks, right? The bubble that we tend to walk around in and sometimes be shunned by, um, they would say it is, right? That, like this that is, it's part of our heritage or that it's important that it's part of our heritage to respect it? Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> that like it is... Okay, so this gets back to that whole pachuga versus gusano versus uh, barrel aging, like mm. what's allowed and what isn't allowed. And I'm putting like their air quotes around the word allowed. And and so like to some people it's important. And the truth is to the vast majority of consumers, it's not important. Yeah, but but, uh, but we're still going to explore that. So yeah. yeah, like I just wanted to start with this, which sounds slightly repetitive, but I thought it was uh, an important thing because I've tried some absolutely delightful mezcales with gusano. Like I was just in Michoacán, had an inakidence with gusano that was marvelous. Whoa, but, whoa, whoa, in Michoacán? Yeah, with inakidence. That's really interesting because when I think of mezcal con gusano, right, my head is solely in Oaxaca because I don't know that I've ever seen it in a mezcal outside of Oaxaca. Well, and, and, and maybe it's just because we haven't asked. 
<laughs> to acknowledge. <laughs> right? That's a, that's a like, you don't point. go to Durango and ask them, like, hey, can I have your most precious uh, mezcal con gusano, please? <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. So, okay, so, you know, like, first, let's get to that point of, you know, it's not a worm. People talk about it being a worm. Yeah. It's not a worm. What is it, Java? Uh, it's a larva. It's a larva. But you have the specific species that it is, right? Because that's important. <laughs> oh, that's so important. And people will absolutely remember it. So there's a red one and there's a white one. Those are the species names, red one and no. white one. You really want the species yeah, names? God dang it. Okay, so uh, let's see. The red one, the species name is Comadia. God, why am I reading it like it's Spanish? I, I think it's Latin. That's Latin. Comadia yeah. red redton bacaria. Oh lord. I'll put this all in the yeah, notes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the white one, uh, which is, you know, the one that's commonly found eating the agave. That one is Igiale. <laughs> Igiale. <laughs> God help me. Hesperi Aris. Okay, I great. took four years of Latin, by the way. Yeah, so this we, is we, why I'll never learn Spanish. And this is what everybody gets to see. Uh, admire your marvelous uh, capacities to learn things in Amen. general, not only languages. Amen. But uh, but so, and I and I do have a question that you don't have in your fun facts that we're going to explore later on. <laughs> How do people extract those worms from the agave, or where does those worms come? Or these larvas come well, from? Well, you know, again, there's the red and the white, and the white absolutely comes from the agave, right? And I've I've had the conversations with a couple of mescaleros, and it was very informal, so maybe they just gave me the blow-off answer, but they said they would just pick them off. Pick them off? Like yeah. like they're, they're, they're standing on the leaves, waving yeah, at them? Yeah, exactly. You'll find them in the little crevices, and they'll use, like, tweezers or their fingers if they're easy to reach. Oh, that's fascinating, because in the Michoacan example that I was telling you about, they told me that they will purposely leave one agave to rot and like, it'll attract them like a lightning rod what <laughs> it'll attract the uh, the larva well, like well a, it, yeah it, it, it will rot so it will be full of larva yeah and I, i'm guessing this is the agave that had a kyote to it yeah so it, it rots and then they go to it and they extract a lot of the worms and i think that's another important thing because i think a lot of people tend to see one bottle with one worm right and it's sort of like the concentration of the warm flavor, it's understood to be one warm will inform a full bottle. Yeah. And what I'm starting to see is that a lot of them have different recipes on how many worms they will put in 20 liter containers. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I, I've never seen, and I, you know, I, I don't spend a lot of time looking for mezcal congusano, to be fair, but I've never seen anybody use as many as Lalo. Really? Yeah. Seriously. And again, like, I haven't seen your Michoacan friends. Maybe mm -hmm. he, they put him to shame. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I will say that it's the interesting thing for me is I always see more gusanos per liter in Lalo's stuff. Uh, and in fact, I think his bottles tend to have like five to ten in them. Um, and yet, I've never tasted one as subtle as Lalo's. Oh, it's delightful. It's really, really, really good. Yeah. And I think that that's another thing that, that, that I don't know if a lot of people know about this, but the worms are expensive. Oh, that makes sense. Do, yeah, do, yeah. Do, like, do people don't know, know that in the U.S., that this is a very expensive delicacy in my country? I, 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 now they do. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so I, I like you know I, I think that it's funny that this is the the conception is like this is a touristy uh, trickery because it's like it'll be a lot cheaper just to have mezcal sin gusano. Well, yeah, though I I think you have so okay so let's get into that whole is it a marketing ploy or is it not yeah, okay. right? 
So without question, it was something that they did for marketing, right? Like when it was mm. commercial, without question, it was used as a marketing narrative by what was this company back in the back in the the 1950s? Mm-hmm. This uh, brand called Mezcal Gusano de Oro. That was how they tried to distinguish themselves from other mezcals. Mezcales. Okay. But, so, but you know, the, 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 it's sort of a false narrative as well, right? So this is the story that you keep hearing is that, oh, it's, it's only a marketing tool. And it was started by this guy, Jacobo Lozano Paez, for Mezcal Gusano de Oro back in 1950. And this, this is the story that I keep seeing online over and over again. Yeah, but yeah. it's not true. Well, it's not, and, and the story, you know, you know and it's, it's it was a um, it was a Chicago journalist Cecil Adams who who wrote that in a 1999 article, and it's just been repeated ad infinitum ever since, which which you know sort of makes it one of those false facts. Was that a trope? I guess we call it a trope. Yeah, which uh, the mezcal world is plagued with. Yeah. I mean every every area every yeah. discipline is plagued with those. Yeah. But uh, so this so which were the originators of this? Which was the well, first well, marketing I, uh, genius that came up with this idea? Well, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. But what, what I do know, the reason I know that this this is just wrong is because you know he says 1950 when in fact the trademark for the brand Gusano de Oro was was established in 1948 and then you can go back even further and there was another brand called Legitimo did I pronounce Legitimo. that Legitimo Legitimo Mezcal de Oaxaca con su propio gusano with its own worm that's right. So that's the full name of the brand. Mezcal right. uh, from Oaxaca with its own worm. That's love that. Cool. Love that brand. <laughs> we we shall appropriate that immediately. But right. anyways, that's a much better name than Agave Road Trip. But so this brand was uh, trademarked in 1944 and clearly included the worm. And mm. I don't know if that was the first, but in terms of like just digging, doing a little. I mean, hey, Cecil didn't have the benefit of Google in 1999. <laughs> But, you know, thanks to to books.google.com, we can do a lot of digging now and see that that was around in 1944. But but this is about brands. Was anybody practicing this that didn't own a brand? Well, okay. And so that's the question. We don't. We don't know the answer to that, but mm. when we talk to uh, when we talk to our friend Lalo, yeah, right, <laughs> the only authority, the the only yeah. consistent authority in the world of Mescal, right? That's Eduardo. <laughs> in case this is your first episode, that's Eduardo Anales of Lalo Cura in Santa Catarina, Minas, Oaxaca. Like, so Lalo, we've got a quote from him. Um, I don't know that I actually got it audio, so I'm just going to read his quote. Okay, go okay. for it. So, my theory is that the mezcal with gusano has its origin shortly after the Mexican Revolution. It may also have been made before that, but it became far more generalized after the Revolution. I think that it is, that's my emphasis, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that it is linked to the religious parties in the towns in honor of each town's patron saint. I kind of like the idea that there's a, a patron saint that is a gusano. Well, it's not about the patron saint being Agusano. It's like you're doing it in honor of the patron saint, which is even cooler because suddenly adding Agusano to the mezcal makes it more special. Oh, 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 oh. So it's not like the, I got you. The patron saint has nothing to do with the larva, which is not a worm. Uh, Nothing to do with the larva. It's just literally, this is something really special in our town. Kind of like a sacrifice in essence, right? Like this is special to us. So we're going to sacrifice it in your name uh, to this, in this mezcal. Yeah, it's like killing a goat. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, I'm happy to say that. But 
Wait, wait a second. But you also, like, I was reading some of your notes on this, Lisa. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> to... Somebody gonna, has to read my yeah, notes. Yeah, right. Oh. <laughs> so uh, you also mentioned something that was really bizarre. That was the Mexican Department of Agriculture. Was oh, yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. What yeah. the hell was that about? Yeah, and you know, and this to me gives... <laughs> thank you yeah, for yeah. reminding me of my notes. This uh, this makes me think that what Lalo is speculating on has some legitimacy. So the Mexican Revolution was when? Uh, 1910 went down, I think, to until 1921, maybe. Oh, okay, that w- sounds right, right? So there's this volume that, might be very that I. Wrong. I'm sorry. That might be very wrong. Oh uh, no. No, 1910 I think that's for right. Sure. Okay, 19, okay. Not, like, like, yeah, 1920 is the year that always echoes in my head. Okay, cool. so right around there. So I found this book from the 1950s called, sorry, here it comes again, <laughs> oh, Agricultura Tecnica in Mexico. Agricultura Tecnica in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so this is something that the Mexican government sent to all of the farmers. Now, if I understand, and I don't claim to, but if I understand this little piece of Mexican history, in essence, the farms were taken from the colonizers and handed over. Uh, a little bit more complicated than that. Let's just say there was an aggressive planet, uh, distribution of land towards uh, farmers in Mexico during the revolution. Okay, so then after the revolution, the government probably would have been looking to support those new farmers, yeah? With Yeah, like with ups and downs and a lot of challenges, but in theory, they wanted to support the, right. the, yeah, the farmers. So the edition of this book, of this pamphlet uh, that I found on books.google.com, uh, which may be uh, uh, like our, our second most important source after Lalo, um, the, the edition of this book was from the 1950s, but... It wouldn't surprise me if the first edition had been back in the 1920s and this book asked farmers to send in the 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 bodies of the bugs that plagued their various crops. Oh wow. Right. It asked them to send it in and this is this is a quote now, placed in a bottle with alcohol, tequila, mezcal or 10 or 10% formalin. Wow. Right? Before sending the copies to our office, add inside the container enough cotton or Kleenex to absorb the liquid. In this way, the insects will be kept moist. And in case the bottle breaks in the mail, there is no danger of the liquid spilling out. Now, like I read this and I start thinking about the mescaleros that you and I hang out with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's yeah. not hard to speculate that some farmer would be like, Okay, I've got all of these gusanos, all these larvae growing, living, eating my my game, my agave crops. Uh, I guess I should prepare this to send into the government. And it says I can use mezcal. So here's some of my mezcal in this little tube. And now here's the little gusano. And then they cap and say, I'll send that off next week. <laughs> and and they never sent it. And then they and a few the, years later, they're yeah. like, oh, or months later. Yeah. Weeks later, they're like, oh, I never sent. I wonder what that tastes like. Well, not only I want to taste that, maybe they just ran out of, there was a party of the town. They didn't have any other mezcal <laughs> to drink. And they're like, well, I, I, I'd I rather use this uh, moment of emergency. So, yeah. so you know, Lalo never, never specifically said why he thought it would have been after the revolution. But, man, I got to tell you, after finding that book and thinking about what he said, the two sort of dovetailed for well, me. Well, and uh, if I, uh, some, I hate when I do these speculations. because I one love day, when you speculate. One day someone is going to come after us the way I go after people but well they, as long as you as long as you flag it as speculation okay, don't great. claim it as fact all right, all right. but the other thing is like if you think about larger scale agriculture in Mexico 
it was definitely a post-revolution phenomena. So if you think about how plagues behave, I'm sure there was more monoculture and plagues started becoming more prominent. Whoa, hang on. Do that again? Okay, so, you know, like, after the revolution, I'm sure there were, I mean, there was a lot of hungry people in this country. Yeah. And they were trying to create more larger-scale agriculture. So, adding efficiency, which is monoculture. Exactly. Oh, that's really interesting. So, you have more worms in the agave, for sure. Because the agave became more susceptible to infestations of of larvae, not worms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because the wild agave tends to repel that easily. It's not a big problem for wild agave in general. So maybe that that was part of it? I don't know. I don't know. Well, and and I think think the I don't know is a really important piece of this because the truth is nobody knows. And everybody – I shouldn't say everybody. A lot of people state as fact, oh – that's just a marketing ploy. But here we've got enough we've got enough evidence to suggest that it wasn't. And we've got a guy who's really like, you know, certainly for me, is a, a touchstone of of real cultural heritage, uh, suggesting that here's this whole other way to look at it. And if you want to talk about a marketing ploy, talk about unispecious agave spirits. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right, right, right. You want right, to right. talk the ultimate marketing ploy that it's not traditional? Right. It's agave spirits made with one species of agave. And the, the <laughs> funny piece there is that Lalo suggests that he's the first guy, certainly that he knew of, to do it. Exactly. Which which is funny because he's also the guy who is the torchbearer for me of cultural heritage. So, so your Tepestate at 55 ABB, most likely the last traditional that you mezcal with gusano. Oh, that is such an interesting way to look at it. So, you know, we're, we've been criticized for not having uh, conclusions at the end of our episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. By Roy, uh, mainly. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, 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 think, I think in essence in this one, we actually do have a conclusion, which is stop worrying about whether or not Mezcal Congusano is traditional or not. Taste it. If you like it, drink it. If you don't, don't. And if you find any other iterations of this, let us know. I was so excited when I found a Michoacan example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm really trying to push to get someone to buy a chunk of it and, and, and make it travel to the United States some way or another. Yeah. So if you guys ever find something anywhere in the Estado de Mexico, Puebla, Durango, Chihuahua, Coahuila, like whatever you find it, please just let us know. And yeah. Uh, yeah, give us the contact of who's making it. And while we certainly know about all the other bugs, your chumoline pal yes. and everything that's in it, I think we should just hold that for their own separate episodes. Yeah, I, I think I, I think specific th- enough for, yeah. uh, for, for justifying a, a new episode. Well, then I guess that's it for this episode, Java. Always a pleasure, Senorito Lu. Right back at you. Adios. Hasta pronto. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. A Gabby Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly, eat responsibly too, and listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.